Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. Hey, we've been doing a series about unlocking creativity for quite a while now, and, uh, and then we've been doing, uh, some of us are kind of two-thirds of the way through uh, uh, some kind of prayer and fasting, and I love being here at the kind of the intersection of those things. Because one of the things I love about these times of fasting, it kind of dials up our kind of our sensitivity and awareness of the whole spiritual realm and spiritual dynamics. And, and so I want to bring that into intersection with uh, this theme of creativity, because I believe that part of this theme of creativity is not just that you're going to feel nice or that you're going to have some, some interesting thoughts. But I believe this morning, particularly, God wants to actually impart something into your spirit. You don't get it up here. You don't get it in your heart. You get it right down in your gut with a spiritual impartation. And, and so this morning, I actually want to suggest, uh, and I believe this, that God wants to impart this into your spirit, which is just this statement of God on this TV, create your future. Create your future. And your brain might be going, what does he mean? Whatever your heart might be. Well, I want you to get it in your spirit. Create your future from God as a mandate from heaven, as a commission from heaven, and as an anointing from heaven. We've been hearing a lot about mandates lately. It's actually a biblical idea, the idea that there is a commission for us to go and do something. But more than that, there's an, there's an authorization to do it. But a biblical uh, mandate is different to anything from the government or the world because a biblical mandate has a sense of anointing. There's a, there's a Holy Spirit impartation to do this thing. And, and, you know, we often, when we think of mandates, we think about the, the gospel mandate, go and make disciples of all nations. We think about the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Again, notice, because He has anointed me to, to do this gospel uh, commission of proclaiming the good news. But there is, a, there is a far earlier mandate in the Bible. There is, there is a far more ancient mandate in the Bible, which is actually Genesis 1, which, which in theology is called the creation mandate. And, and this is what it says. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And I don't know how you feel when you, you read that. It can kind of sound pretty flowery and obscure, but kind of if you pull it all together, like this is like the Steve Graham, New Revised, Passion, Message, translation of it. It's just this. God speaks to people and He says, go and create your future. Create your future. There's a commission. There's, a, there's an authority that's given, but there's an anointing. And I pray this morning that you would catch that in your spirit that God says to you, go and create your future. And, and then we, and what, what I want to talk about really today is there's a whole process in the Bible about how something gets outworked of, out of what God says. So sometimes the Bible talks about the image of God's Word as a seed that gets planted in our heart and it springs up and it grows and it eventually becomes strong and it produces fruit and then there's a harvest. Or, or the image of a woman who's pregnant, who conceives and, and grows a child within her and then eventually gives birth. And, and, and that there's a process to this thing. And so I want to talk about what's the process of from when God imparts something into your spirit to the fact that you see it realized in your world, that you actually have gone and created your future. And that might sound a bit kind of like humanistic or secular, but it's, it's biblical. It's in the first chapter of the Bible, this mandate, go and create your future. And so I, I want to talk about a, kind of another process to that, not the image of seed 
growing to be a plant, not the image of a woman who's pregnant, but kind of an, uh, kind of an indigenous uh, image from Aotearoa, New Zealand, the image of the kuru, which is a spiral um, of growth, which obviously comes from uh, the kind of native ferns. And I was reading about it yesterday that said it kind of has these two ideas, the idea of, of, of movement and momentum, but also kind of the idea at the center of it is the source of life. And I reckon that's a great image to think about how God, how God births creativity, how God works creativity in our, in our life, how we cooperate with this mandate that you catch in your spirit that, that says, go and create your future. And so I want to suggest this kind of process. First, that you get it in your spirit. That's like at the core of the, the koru. And then, and then it kind of percolates up into your thinking and you begin to dream possibilities and consider things you hadn't thought before. I love that next Sunday we've got a dream Sunday. It's right, it, it just, that's how this thing works. And, and then it kind of spirals around and it begins to consolidate into a clear vision and plan of where I'm going. And then it comes back around and it catches deep in your heart and the depth of your desire and the passion like, I want to go after that. I want to see that happen in my life. And then maybe I left out a step. It comes up again and comes out in your confession and your proclamation. But the, but the final thing, it actually comes out and it lands when you take wise steps to actually craft and build your future. That, that, hopefully that makes sense. You get it in your spirit. It circles up and it percolates in your mind. It consolidates and, and becomes clear in a vision. It catches your heart again with passion and desire. And it comes out and it lands in concrete wise steps where you build the future that God has put into your heart. It's this lovely kind of partnership with God in this whole process. But the thing is at every step, we've got to care for this thing. We've got to steward this thing. So it actually comes to fulfillment. So this morning, I just want to kind of go through this and invite you to kind of think about this process and to let God, let God birth new dreams. Let God inspire you to dream again out of this mandate that He says to you, create your future. Come on, create your future. It's not impossible. Dream again. Create your future. So the first one is you've got to get it in your spirit. You know, uh, Paul was really passionate in the New Testament. The church is not a place just to make you feel nice or to give ideas. They go, well, that's interesting. The church is a place for a spiritual impartation. And he says this to Rome, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. I just don't want to communicate to your mind or your feelings. I want you to catch something. You go out and today that you go out of the service and something's been put deep down in here. And you've got to then figure that out and see where it goes. You know, he talks about this minister, competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If we're just giving you information today, there's no life in that. But if, but if you can allow the Holy Spirit to impart something in you, new life will spring up. New, new something will grow out of the core of your being because you are a spirit person. And God plants things in your spirit. You know, um, prophets often do these really weird things. And there's this really weird illustration of this principle in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 2.9. He just says this, Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll in which, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. It's like, oh, there's a scroll, there's some words. What do you think he would say? Well, read the thing. Like, try and understand it. He doesn't. This is what he says. It's a bizarre statement. 
He said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. I don't recommend this. This is a prophetic action. And then he said to me, son of man, eat the scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted sweet as honey in my mouth. He's like, I don't want you to get this word in your mind, Ezekiel. I don't want you to get this even in your heart. I want it down in here because that's how I work. I plant my word in your spirit. And then whatever happens comes out of that and comes into the world out of that. It's like this morning, your greatest need is not more information. It's not even nice feelings. It's an impartation of the spirit into who you are. You know, John, Jesus talked about in this in John, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow. God wants to unlock something from within the core of you that you're living out of not just an idea, not out of a feeling, but out of something that's been imparted into your spirit. And that's where the kuru starts unfolding. That's where the source of life is. That's where the rivers start flowing. Um, and, and, you know, this is kind of hard for some of us in Western education to get our, our heads around that our brain and our thinking is not, is not the ultimate foundation of, of knowledge. Paul talks about this in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I pray this morning there's some people who go away like, I don't know just what happened, but there's this thing kind of rolling around in my in my being, there's this burden, there's this cry, there's this, there's this restlessness, and go, great, that's the spirit beyond words, deeper than words. And, and then what do you do with that, though? Because, oh, that's not first cop, that's first Corinthians 14. Uh, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray, they may interpret what they say. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What will I do? I'll pray with my spirit. I'll also pray with my mind. Paul's like, yeah, I'm, I'm praying out of this place down there that I can't even put words to. But I'm also, I'm also got a brain, and it's important, and I'm praying out of that. And, and Paul's like, what should you do? And he's like, pray to kind of put some words to this thing. Pray that it will begin to percolate up into your understanding. Pray that what goes from a wordless groan and, and restlessness would begin to spark ideas and form ideas, which kind of leads to the second point as it, as it begins to unfold. Like, let it percolate up into your thinking. Begin to dream, begin to imagine, begin to consider new possibilities. And I guess interesting, when people think about creativity, they start there. But I want to start at the first one. Get it in your spirit. Let God say, create your future. It's like, oh man, I don't even know what that means. That's okay, just get it in there first. But then let it percolate into your thinking. Um, you know, it's interesting, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So it's a spirit birth thing, but what's the first result? Well, your sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. If this process isn't thwarted, isn't interrupted, the most natural thing after getting something in your spirit is you start to dream dreams and see visions and imagine possibilities. This is the normal outworking when God puts something in your spirit. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Sam talked about this, this creativity test. Um, it's actually this guy, Dr. George Land, who was an expert in kind of creativity. And NASA came to him and said, man, we have thousands of people in our organization. We need a test that can identify the most creative people so that we can put them in the most specialist teams to deal with the hardest problems. So this guy came up with a test. 
And then as Pastor Sam said, they thought, oh, we should try it on some kids. And this was this depressing study that they did that tested five-year-olds. 98% were creative geniuses. They thought, oh, let's turn it into a longitudinal study and see what happens. Tested them five years ago, it had dropped to 30%. Tested them five years later at 15, dropped to 12%. They were so depressed then they stopped the study. But they did then do a wide-scale thing of adults, and they found adults, 2%, were creative geniuses. And it's like, man, if this process is going to come out of our spirit into our mind, somehow we've got to address this. And if you think about this, obviously the whole thing stands or falls on what does he mean by creative genius? And that's where it's interesting. He basically says the difference between divergent and convergent thinking. This is creativity. Divergent thinking starts with a starting point and starts to imagine new options, starts to connect things that no one had connected for before, starts to dream of things that had never been done before, births a whole range of options. And then he contrasts that with convergent thinking, which starts with a whole range of options and kind of goes, oh, no, this one wouldn't work. No, we don't have the money for that one. Oh, we tried that before and it didn't work. And it narrows it down to a finished idea. And his point was this. They're both important ways of thinking, but you can't do them both at the same time because your brain ends up fighting with itself. He said, it's like having your foot hard on the accelerator and hard on the brake. It doesn't work. And his whole point is we need to learn to do this And then that, it's a flow, it's a process, it's a sequence. The problem is, for many of us, this kind of thinking is shut down. And and this is why I'm so, so deeply moved that we're doing this series at this time, for this reason. He actually, he had these scans of brains. Over here, this is a person doing divergent creative thinking. The red and the yellow is signs that their brain is lit up. It's just super alive, it's super active. And he contrasts that with the logical, you know, convergent, realistic thinking. It's still alive and lighting up, but not nearly as much. And then he did a TED Talk, and he said, and then I got really bad news for you, because this is a person who's afraid, who's living in fear. And it's like, oh, no, their brain is pretty much shut down to a really kind of basic response. And I believe that's why it's such a, prophetic and pastoral thing that at this moment we're doing a series on creativity because everything in your world is pulling you to shut your brain down into a fearful little world and the challenge is no God saying open up again start to dream again start to think possibilities again because for your well-being you're going to come alive when you do this um Christine and I lived in Christchurch during the earthquakes and for the years afterwards. And a couple of years afterwards, people started talking about this thing called earthquake brain. Like just forgetful and a bit emotionally numb, not a lot of passion or motivation, kind of distracted by stuff. But then also some extreme emotional outbursts, like a bit short-tempered and a bit niggly. And hypervigilance just means super alert. Anytime there's an alarm or a siren or something, it hyped up. And it was a weird experience to recognize that. Just a few weeks ago, Christine and I were talking and go, do you know what? It feels like that's what's happening now. It it feels like people have got that kind of earthquake brain, but it's a COVID brain 
from the, not from the disease, but from the environment that we're in. And, and it's like, oh man, we need, to, we, need to kinda, we need to not let our brains get into that place. Um, I actually saw they've actually seriously done research on this. Like it's actually a thing, earthquake brain. So this was a study from the New Zealand Brain Research Institute. Uh, this was published earlier this year. And they studied people from Christchurch 10 years later. And, and there's a little complicated picture, but she goes, this green area is that fight or flight thing. It's the amygdala. And it's like, it just gets overworked. So they studied it. 10 years later, that's still firing too much in people from Christchurch. And, and, and she said, normally, the front part of your brain regulates that, calms it down, because it's like, hey, let's think about this logically. And even more, that's convergent thinking to go, man, let's think about new possibilities. Let's dream again. Oh, but what's the next 1 p.m. announcement? And where's there been another wastewater flow? And the toilet paper's sold out at the, at the supermarket. And, and who knows when we can travel? And, and, our, and our, your brain actually kind of shrinks into this little fearful lost place. And it's like, no, no, somehow we need to kick in again. Even rational thinking, but then even more creative thinking. You know, I love over these last two years how God has spoken through the church. Um, yeah, apostolic leadership for where we're going, prophetic leadership about what's happening, but also pastoral leadership. For your well-being, you need to open up your life. For your well-being, you need to connect. For your well-being, you need to serve. But also, this last month, for your well-being, come on, you need to unlock creativity again. For your well-being, you need to dream again. For what, your well-being, you need to think possibilities again. For you. And so I really encourage you this morning, let God impart into your spirit. Create your future. But then let it percolate up into your brain. So here's my challenge. Like, what do you need to start, do to start dreaming again? Maybe you need to just turn off some of those news updates. Maybe you need to unfollow some of those people on social media because they're just doing your head in. Maybe you need to ration how much you get updates on stuff. Maybe you need to go for a walk on the beach or in the bush. Maybe you need to buy a new journal. And when the whole world wants to lock you in fear, at the top of page one, you go, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? What's my dream? What's the future I'm going to create with God? Come on, let it come into your spirit, but then let it percolate up into your imagination. The third one is then it kind of comes out from this divergent thinking. It begins to converge into a specific vision or plan. You know, I'm not going to go into this a lot, but Habakkuk 2.2, 2, the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Yeah, I got it in my spirit. I started to dream, but the next step, if this is going to actually happen and the whole process could fall over at this point, is actually to let it converge into a specific vision and dream for your life, a specific plan so that you can run with it so that you can do something about it. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? Great that you got it in your spirit. Great that you started to dream again. But unless it converges into a vision, into a plan, it, it's, not, it's gonna be stunted. It's not gonna produce the final harvest. And we often talk about this, you know, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had gone, look around from where you are to the north and south, the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you. Come on, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? 
Like, what do you see that God wants to create? What do you see that he wants to do in your life? What do you see? Because God will partner with you to create that future. What do you see? And we often talk about this thing, vision, passion, and discipline. People trying to get discipline in their life, but discipline comes out of passion. But actually, passion comes out of vision. I've seen something, and it's ignited passion. And so therefore, I start to put some things in place because of the vision that I've seen that came out of my creative thinking that began when God just planted something I couldn't even put words to in my spirit. And now I've got a vision. Which highlights why I think the next point is this. Let it ignite passion in your heart. And that's why I love that quarter image, that it comes out of what God imparts. It comes into your thinking. It, it uh, consolidates in a vision. But then God wants it to circle back and grab the depths of your heart. God has designed us to live with passion, to live with desire. Christians are often quite skeptical or scared about what's in their heart. It's like, no, no, it's good but fallen. God has designed you to live out of deep passion and desire. You know, Psalm 20, may he give you the desire of your heart. Don't give me that pious nonsense about, oh no, he gives us the actual desire. No, no, you get the desire and he gives you the thing you're desiring. That's how we're designed to work. May he make your plans succeed. If you ain't got any desires, if you ain't got any plans, what's he gonna bless? What's he gonna put his favor on? What's he gonna smile on? His mandate in Genesis 1, go and create your future. Yeah, do it in dialogue with him, wrestle with him, open to his guidance. But part of my responsibility and part of where this whole process kind of dies is we're like, well, God, just let it fall out of heaven. The lotto God, the fairy godmother God. No, no, you come up with a passion that's in your heart. That's why Proverbs said, above all, guard your heart. Why? For from it flows the springs of life. Yeah, the Holy Spirit initiate something, but then out of your heart, something begins to flow. It's like, I want this. Not just I should do it, I want this. Um, There's an old saying that some people say, desire is king. You will end up doing what you desire. That's why Jesus just didn't go after your feelings or your thinkings, he went after what you love. Love God, love people. He wants to captivate your desire because that will determine where you go. And so I love the sense, you know, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you. God expects you to get moving with a dream and a plan, and then he can direct you. Old cliche, it's easier to steer a moving ship or a moving car. Get going, living out of passion. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go in your life? Which is this question, what do you want to do with your life? Some of you might have heard this story before, but remember in my early 20s, once I'd kind of committed to, giving my life to follow Jesus and done some steps. And one day I felt like I had this vision that Jesus picked me up like a little toddler and looked into the future and, and asked this question, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, nice Christian. It's like, whatever you want me to do, God. As soon as I said it, I knew it was the wrong answer. He was wanting me to go, what do you want to do with your life? It took about a year pondering and thinking and dreaming. And then one day I saw this picture again of standing in like a a little seminar room with about 15 or so uh, third world church leaders. And I was at the front teaching them. And I was like, and and it just caught in my heart. And you know, like early 20s, it's like, that's what I want to do with my life. And everything for the last like 35 years has been a pursuit of that passion. 
Actually, if it's a literal picture, I've never, I haven't yet stood in that room amongst those people that I saw. But everything has been a drive to work towards that passion. What do you want to do with your life? Let God plant something in your spirit. Let it percolate up into your thinking. Let it crystallize into a vision, but let it ignite your passion, your desire, your dream. That puts a smile on your face. That gets you out of bed in the morning because like, I want to make a difference in this area of my world. And so the final step is this. Maybe there's another step of confession, whatever you could put in there. But, but it's like I get it in my spirit. It percolates up to my mind. It, it, uh, it um, distills into a vision. It captures my heart. But then the final step is this. I actually take wise steps to craft and build my future. I actually begin to make it happen. You know, we've over and over on the series, people have gone back to Genesis chapter 1. God is the creator. And then we're created in his image of the creator. And then we're mandated, we're commissioned, we're anointed to go and do it. And and it's a beautiful picture of, of a world of chaos. And God just steps in, he walks into it. And he just begins making steps really calmly in the chaos. He's not overwhelmed by the chaos. He's not, I'm sure he doesn't have a midbrain and an amygdala, but he doesn't, he doesn't get all fearful. He just walks into the chaos and he says, okay, today let's just separate the light and dark. And he goes, man, that's good. I've crafted something here. Comes back the next day, let's separate the waters above and below. Third day, let's separate the water and the dry land. Man, we're, we're creating something here. Then he comes back, what about we fill up that stuff? Let's fill the light and the dark with with sun and moon and stars. Hey, let's fill the waters above with birds and the waters below with with fish. Let's come back on sixth day. Hey, let's fill this land with with animals, all kinds of Let's. Hey, what about an elephant? What about a giraffe? What about a platypus, just to confuse everyone? What about, you know, let's let's just fill this thing. And then he stands back in the end and he's like, Man, that is really good. And then he comes to the people and he says, I commission you to go and do the same. I commission you. I mandate you. I anoint you. Not to be overwhelmed by the chaos, not to feel afraid of the chaos, but to craft something in the midst of the chaos. Now, I mentioned this passage last time I spoke, Zechariah. He had this vision of these four horns. They represent strength and power. What are these? And four represents a global movement. These are the horns that scattered. There's a global movement of fear and scattering and intimidation and, and oppression. And, and then God shows him this vision, showed me four craftsmen. And he's like, what are they coming to do? Like, how is that the answer? And God just says, these horns that are scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head, oppressed, bowed down, isolated, confused, broken. But the craftsmen have come to terrify them. The chaos gets terrified of people who are able to craft God's goodness because you're not buying into the spirit that they bring. Man, we live at such a significant moment. Um, You have a choice. Are you going to buy into the spirit of the chaos or are you going to craft good and lovely things in the midst of the chaos? Are you going to let God impart to you this commission? Create your future. Dream again. Get a vision. Ignite your passion. 
take some steps to make it happen. You know, Paul's one of my great heroes in um, faith. And like, again, this whole process, you can see him, man, God just grabbed him. You're an, you're an apostle. He started to dream, man, we could reach Europe. I'm called, that's, my, that's the dream. He, he started to constellate into a vision, man, we could plant a hub in Turkey and Greece and Rome, and then I could get to Spain. Like, we could do this. It grabbed his passion, like, this is my one great passion to honor God by doing this. But I love how he finishes. He says, by the grace God given me, I laid a foundation this, as a wise master builder. I don't, just, I don't just carry a spirit of something. I don't just dream and see things. I don't even just have a vision. I don't just passionate. I know how to wisely build this thing. I know how to make progress. I know how to make it happen. I know how to land this whole process. As churches are planted all around Europe, what was put in my spirit and ignited in my thinking and focused in my vision and ignited my passion is actually becoming a reality. I'm creating the future that God won't put in my spirit because I'm a craftsman. And I know how to wisely build stuff. There's a saying around equippers, faith sees but wisdom builds. And again, this is another step that the process could be thwarted. Get it in your spirit. Dream the dream. See the vision. Ignite the passion. But then craft your future. So again, what practical steps could you take to start crafting and building your future? Man, I, I'm stuck in this world. I, I need a... I need to enroll in uni next year. I need to go and take a course on parenting. I have this dream one day of going to Japan. I should get some Japanese lessons. You know, I should go and see a budgeting person, advisor. I should go and get a personal trainer. Like start, what are the steps? Because your future doesn't arrive falling out of heaven. The commission to you and your God-given created humanity is you go and craft your future. You go and create your future. Man, I wish I could impart that into your spirit this morning. Create your future. A word from God, a spiritual impartation of life. Create your future. Create your future. There's this famous poem um, by Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. It just says this, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Man, we live at such, such a challenging moment. And there's really two roads. You can get lost in this fear and panic. And, and, and bottom line, you can, you can, well, let me finish that contrast. Or you could say, I'm mandated by God to walk into the chaos and create something beautiful. And I've got this. We can do this. And let me suggest, even where do you go in the Bible? Because you can be locked in fear and you can go to the passages that scare you more. And that's the genius of this series. To go, hey, what about go back to Genesis 1 and start creating goodness in the chaos. Start creating future. Jesus says this, there's a narrow gate. And we often apply this to eternal life, but think about it as life. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are just getting caught up in fear and stuff and and outrage and stuff. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to what? Life. Choose life. Choose to fulfill your God-given mandate to create goodness and order and flourishing. 
choose to do that and only a few find it. I pray and equip us more than a few find it. I pray a whole lot of us understand that God has got you in this process of something being planted inside and being outworked. Is it planted in your spirit? As it percolates into your thinking? As it uh, constellates into a vision? As it ignites your passion? As it finds expression in practical steps? That God is at work. Hey, I'd love just to really quickly pray with you. As I said at the start, I'm not, I'm, I'm not hoping that you go away feeling encouraged even, actually. I'm not hoping that you go away like, oh man, that was really interesting. I'm hoping you go away like, oh, God just put something in my spirit. Let me pray. God, I ask for a supernatural impartation of your spirit that you would speak words of life, the same word that caused galaxies to be formed and earth to uh, form and, and the species to form, the same creative words you'd plant in our spirit and just say, create your future birth a dream, have a vision, ignite your passion, and build the future that you see. Amen. I pray that you're blessed and inspired and you've got something imparted today. God bless you.